is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Uh, record scratch, though. This is a little bit of a King's Road mailbag November International Break Edition. Joe and I were talking, and we thought the best way to cure the International Break Blues. Uh, is really joe just answering people's questions giving them something to do because this is a boring time of year it's it's dark it's getting cold you have to be indoors and you know there's now there's no chelsea it's terrible yeah and if you're a fan of england i think i think the next two games we're playing i I imagine our like under 10s could probably do a decent job so it's not it's not particularly uh fun and if you're like me as well I'm I would say I'm anti-international football but I only really watch England like attentively when they're at international major tournaments so the qualifying stuff for me is very very dull but uh yeah as you say winter is uh winter is coming let's bring that back why not um and uh yeah no looking forward to answering some slightly different questions from from usual so I'm looking forward to getting into this well it's great because we have questions that are Chelsea centric general football don't even kind of get into the realm of football. We might talk about the latest James Bond movie for a little bit too, because we both have plenty of things to say on that. But we're going to start with a football-centric one. Our good friend Dean Mears with the question, Joe, build the perfect footballer using different attributes from different Chelsea players. Example, heading, vision, physique, control, pass, shot, left foot, right foot, etc and only one attribute per player and as i'm looking at the list that you and i put together you went all time and i tried to keep it within the current squad yeah, so it actually i, like I think is a little bit of a uh, a deviation there but why don't you start i think yours is uh gonna be the chelsea all-time great and <laughs> this would be like over a 99 in fifa this is like a, a 270 uh, you open this pack and you basically would die from like the light blinding <laughs> you from your console. Yeah, I, I so I'll, I'll be a little bit cheeky. I saw that Dan had gone with sort of current squad. So I thought I'll mix it up a tiny bit. I'll, I'll go with players that I have seen play live. So I kind of gone with that caveat. So no Osgood or Cook or whoever it might be. That I think my dad might have picked. So I went with uh, leading with physicality. I went with my favorite Chelsea player, Michael Essien. That is a big surprise to anyone who has ever followed me. Um, heading, I went with Michael Balak. He was absolutely phenomenal in the air. Um, vision, I went with Rude Hullet. Uh, he hit passes that I still, to this day, as a child, just just didn't really, you know, you, you didn't see them in the ground. You thought, where, why has he done that? And then, you know, five seconds later, the ball would sort of be perfectly placed in somebody's path. And at a time when Chelsea didn't really have the kind of quality we had, sort of that we're kind of very blessed to see today seeing a player sort of hit diagonals and you know, fancy passes with the outside of his boot, etc. The vision that, that it had was amazing. Um, control with Gianfranco Zola. If you need a reason, just Google or YouTube uh, Zola Liverpool skill or something along those lines. There is a very famous clip where Zola in his uh, one of his last games for Chelsea um, basically dribbled around three or four Liverpool defenders in a very, very tiny space and particularly made Jamie Carragher look very foolish, which is very pleasurable to see. And I think something that Gary Neville often quite likes to, to remind him about as well. Um, crossing, I actually took from Reese James because I think he might be the best crosser ball that I've seen play for Chelsea, particularly if you look at some of the ones he's putting in this season. Um, engine, I went with Frank Lampard. 
again, I think his capacity to just get up and down all game and continue to make those runs and continue to get into the air, et cetera, that engine I think was was kind of kind of quite unique, particularly for a, a midfielder, um, somebody who sort of played two ways as well. Shot was quite an easy one, actually, considering all the people I could have picked. I went with Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Again, um, if you're a little bit uh, younger and maybe slightly unfamiliar with Mr. Hasselbank's work, if you go on YouTube and just, just look at his top 10 Chelsea goals, this man could could probably probably kill someone with a football. I mean, I know that's a little bit of a morbid thing to say, but you know, just some of the, the free kicks that he took where he literally ran up and kicked the ball as hard as possible and it just flew into the top corner. He definitely would be the guy with the shot. Um, passing, I went for Mr. Cesc Fabregas. I don't think that that one particularly needs an explanation. I think he's one of the best passers I've seen at Chelsea, um, even though he does have me blocked on, on Twitter, which is uh, still to this day something that I find very funny. Um, left foot, Iron Robin. Right foot, Eden Hazard. I just think, again, Robin's dribbling and ability at Chelsea was incredible. Um Possibly could have gone with Marcus Alonso because that is the wonderful ones, but I thought I'd go with sort of more of the dribbling aspect. Uh, right foot hazard again, very, very self-explanatory there. And with mentality, I went with the um, pleasant and always jovial Diego Costa. Um, yeah, I just uh, there was something about his game that even, even when he wasn't necessarily scoring tons, just the way that he would influence play and just be an, uh, a pest for 90 minutes. And yeah, I mean, he's one of those players that you always want on your team, but if he's on the opposing team, you absolutely hate him. So I think from that perspective, Costa's uh, mentality would would probably probably pip it for me. I was kind of toying with with JT as well. There's the JT's mentality, but I kind of went with the the psychotic nature of Diego Costa to round out this absolute tank of a football player because, you know, having somebody, maybe JT's you know, a little bit smarter than, than Costa, but I want 150 aggression on my FIFA card with uh, with Diego. So that, that was the, the ploy there. Yeah, that, that was the one when I looked at your list initially. I'm like, man, how does Captain Leader Legend and latest Twitter user John Terry... <laughs> Not get into the yeah. list, but you know, maybe if we had like football IQ as a little category yeah, here, yeah, there you go. Like okay, leadership, so, he probably ends yeah. up getting in that way. Leadership and IQ, yeah. If, if we add football IQ to this, so overall football intelligence, the fact Terry, I, I found it quite interesting recently, Dan. There was a compilation that some away fan made of Terry's entire career where it showed Terry's sort of missteps. And bearing in mind the number of minutes that he played for Chelsea, I think he came up with like a four minute long clip. And quite a few of those four minutes were replays of actions that, that Terry had performed wrong. So, you know, over thousands of minutes that he played for Chelsea, this man managed to dig up a four-minute clip. So I think that kind of sums up the uh, the intelligence of, of JT as a centre-back. Yeah, if you can only put together a four-minute clip, essentially like a long movie trailer, you probably don't have enough. Because like that would indicate that there's like maybe two hours of, of bad clips that exist <laughs> if we kind of take the extrapolation there. So... I mean, how many hours did it take that person to do four? That's oh, a lot of a lot of time investment for a poor return. Uh, okay, so here here's where I went, and then you can ask me questions about where maybe I misstepped because uh, you you cleared up the John Terry question for me. I went with the, the, all current squad players, so had to had to be playing for the current squad. I went with the physicality of Lukaku, just his ability to kind of push defenders uh, back and kind of make those kind of quick movements, quick turns. Heading over the Havertz, uh, we haven't necessarily seen a ton of it at Chelsea yet. Uh, I mean, just thankfully, just this weekend as we're recording this, uh, we did get a chance to see it. 
Vision, I went Jorginho. I mean, he kind of has been, the, the metronome has been able to move the ball around and see where it needs to go. Control him with Conte because he just has, I think a little underrated at times because he's just so good. His ability to definitely move the ball through a ton of traffic, his kind of tight ball movement is fantastic. I also went with Reese James in crossing. I think that, you know, that just makes... Uh, sense no additional information they needed there i went with the son of lampard mason mount for engine because uh, <laughs> that is uh, similar to yours uh, i think that there is a just vast difference in the side when he is or isn't playing shot i had to give it to alonzo uh, both from a dead ball opportunity and then also just at full speed uh, he clearly was a striker in uh, a different multiverse or many of the multiverses. This is just the one where he happens to be a left back or a left wing back. Left foot, Chilwell. Right foot, Hudson Adoy. And mentality on the current squad uh, was Antonio Rudiger because he's just absolutely there. And then uh, I skipped it, but passing along with Thiago Silva because he just has an ability, not just with the short passing, but very few in the side, I think, have that willingness to pinpoint deliver a long ball in the way that he does and so i think if you get this all together you've got a pretty silky player but tell me if I, i'm wrong or maybe misjudged or maybe left someone out who should have been here yeah i'm uh, i'm struggling to, to pick this one apart dan to be honest um the only thing i would say is if i was looking at control as ball control maybe, maybe rather than control of a game then uh, kovacic or loftus cheek mm. might come into play there with their ability to carry but the, i mean the rest of it looks Looks pretty spot on. I'm trying to think of a right foot as well, maybe to put in there. We don't really have anyone who's who is outstanding. Maybe Reese, but again, it's part of that one one player per attribute sort of uh, feature. So no, I don't think I could really really change too much in in that selection. Well, it's a fun little game. We appreciate Dean giving it to us. So we're gonna make sure that we ask on Twitter when we drop this one too what everyone else's was because uh, you can kind of take this all over the place. You can do generations. You can do decades. You could do current team. You could do former squads. Um, you could do Chelsea's worst signings player and do this in reverse and be very terrible as a, of a human being, but that's <laughs> up to you. Uh, next question from Phil was, why is Asby so disrespected amongst some Chelsea people across YouTube and the Twitterverse? And uh, if Nick Verlaney were here, uh, also co-host of the London's podcast, Joe, <laughs> I think he would uh, be very effusive in his praise of Aspilicueta and calling out uh, several people who've maybe turned over a new leaf on their opinion of Aspilicueta. But <laughs> maybe why, you know, if we're trying to root cause it, why do you think the disrespect is there? Yeah, this is a, it's a good question. And uh, yes, Nick definitely, definitely would be, uh, be championing Aspilicueta. Um I have a feeling that part of it is just due to Aspilicueta's game in that he is, he's probably best described as a steady Eddie, although I think that maybe is doing him a disservice. I think if you have that opinion of him, um, you see him as just a very sort of basic player in terms of his sort of overall skill set. Um, I think what he's won at the club and I think the fact that he's been able to perform at a high level across so many different positions and almost again has, has sort of reinvented himself as a right-sided center half in a in a back three as well kind of sort of does a lot of the the, the noise around Aspilicueta I think puts a lot of that uh, to bed realistically in terms of why the opinion persists I think partly um, at the moment I think some people see him as 
a sort of object in the way of Reese James's sort of consistent game time and progress, um, which I've seen with some senior players in the past, but I, I do think it's a, maybe a little less um, sort of deserving in Aspilicueta's case because he can still play both uh, positions at a high level. Sure, he might not be as dynamic as Reese James, but you could also make that argument about pretty much every wing back in world football at the moment. So, you know, it's not necessarily the, the easiest of comparisons. Um, and I think the one thing that I've had historically with Aspilicueta with the armband, and certainly not a, a criticism that I would label of him maybe the past 18 months or so, was I, th- I kind of at times felt that he was a little bit of a, a quiet captain. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes, particularly in bad patches that we've seen under Sari and, and also under Lampard, when you maybe need a captain to sort of scream and shout and to be sort of very obvious and vocal on the pitch, I felt that he shied away a tiny bit from that. Um, but having said that, I certainly think the last 18 months, his leadership style is a lot more... Uh, vocal and I think he's far more prominent now when he's on the pitch um, in terms of that that leadership role um, and again any any captain that lifts a European Cup I think certainly is, is sort of proven their credentials there and I do think as well that just his his overall kind of management of of that transition between him and Reese James and and playing with guys like Trevor Chalibur etc I know that a lot of these kids hold Aspie in a very very high esteem so you know, with, with that relationship, I, th- I think that the, the overall nature of how people perceive him will, will hopefully kind of change a bit in terms of in terms of how he's perceived. Um, but I don't I don't really fully comprehend the, the super negative attitude, which certain people did definitely still have towards him. Um, I just think at the moment it's going to be a question of hopefully those people's opinion will change because he's just been such an incredible servant for the club. And, and if we win the Club World Cup, he will be the I think the only player that's won absolutely everything for you know that you could, you could possibly win as a as a footballer. So you know, well at Chelsea at least. So you know, I think that puts him in a, a special bracket as well. Yeah, there there would be a rarefied air at the top of the mountain that Aspilicueta is breathing that no one else in Chelsea Blue has ever yeah you know inhaled in and exhaled out. So yeah, I I do think it comes down to a little bit of desiring. The success of others and wanting to see a preferred player or someone get their opportunity because as has had all these opportunities and has you know reached a, a point in his career where maybe he, there's a little slight decline but you know i think to the points that you made the way that he provides service to the club through his on and off the uh, off the field uh, approaches to things uh, i mean even like you know, Magda Erickson had like an interview just recently that was phenomenal with Pernille, like spo- like amazing sponsored content from KFC of all people. But they asked like the question, like, oh, who's the person on the, you know, the the men's team that you kind of vibe with, that you uh, kind of connect with the most? Like, oh, Aspilicueta, of course, like captain to captain. Like this is this is where the relationship's at. <laughs> I think he will be more appreciated after he is gone. I I just think that is the general case of some of these players who maybe are not like an immediate club legend i mean i I think like you see people today who have come through the academy i think they're so appreciated maybe more so like they've accelerated the special relationship that the supporters have with them and i think maybe those who are newer to chelsea over the past maybe three four or five years might have a different perspective but i think people who've watched chelsea for maybe a longer duration maybe they're the ones who are hopefully will kind of you know, provide wisdom or provide kind of, you know, but I don't know. I mean, just people are weird, man. People are weird. S- seven million pounds done. That's how much Azpilicueta cost Chelsea. If you can find me 
in world football, if you can think of a Chelsea player who has achieved as much as he has for that sort of money. Um, and not only that, he has been a very prominent player in title-winning teams. He has taken you know, significant roles in us winning trophies. He's not just a, you know, a bit part player for £7 million. You know, you're talking about putting him in that sort of lamp, you know, kind of bracket with with Frank Lampard at £11 million. So those sorts of players who have delivered way beyond the, the, the measurement that you could attribute to them in terms of financial, you know, kind of costs, etc. So, you know, unless you can find me, a, a, obviously with the academy players, they're free and we all know that, that that's slightly different. But in terms of, of Chelsea players that have been bought, I don't think there are many, if any, really, that have, have kind of given the bang for buck that, that Aspie, um has sort of given Chelsea. And as you say, you know, I think he will be remembered a lot more fondly when, when he leaves Chelsea, which will be, you know, kind of a, a sad time. But... I'm hopeful that he he sticks around the club. He seems to have that sort of intelligence around him where you wouldn't necessarily want to let that let that leave Stamford Bridge. I'm, I'm hopeful that he will be here for a long time post-playing. That would be ideal. So let's go on to a wonderful username, Chaos and Trophies, asking the question. <laughs> uh, clearly pick it, picked up from uh, a one Joe Tweets himself. Uh, what is the percent of confidence that you guys have that we can win the quintuple this season? <laughs> which includes the Carabao FA Premier League Champions League and Club World Cup with the hashtag going on us. So combining a little bit of the uh, the, the, the <laughs> Tweeds Dormer Alliance here. Um, Joe, how do you want to approach this? Because I was trying to figure out, like, does each of these then have like a 20% kind of ranking? And then you just like you add that up and that's like your confidence metric um, is a scale of one to 10. Like, how, how are you thinking of, of, of approaching this one? Yeah. Part of me, like obviously being an insanely biased Chelsea fan, like part of me is like, it's 175%. Like it, it's, you know, it's an absolute certainty. We'll win every game of football. This is the season where we win all five trophies. Um, I tend to think that I think with City being out the Carabao Cup, I think that is winnable this season. Um, I think our squad depth and the rotation we haven't, you know, yes, obviously, as long as we play penalty shootouts in every round, we're clearly going to win with Kepper and goal. So um, I'm fairly confident on the Carabao. I think FA Cup is normally dependent on really, I suppose, what kind of team we're putting out. I mean, we generally sort of are there or thereabouts as well. Um, I think we, we will have a good chance at winning either the Champions League or the Premier League. If you're looking at competitions this is a good year to be good in Europe so I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards that but you know the way we're going in the league at the moment it's difficult to I would say difficult to look past us but we're quite clearly in a title race here and I think the Club World Cup that is the one that I really want to win to, to have that like the full set of, of domestic you know kind of mm -hmm. trophies and, and international trophies European trophies etc that's that's a big one for me so I am going to go I don't know if this, this is confidence <sighs> You made a, you made a good point. Let's maybe re reconsider how how do you necessarily add this up in your head? Um, I think I think Chelsea will win the Premier League this season, so that's one trophy. I think we can get into the final of the Champions League, so then I'm going to go fifty fifty on that. Uh, Carabao and FA Cup, I'm going to go again fifty fifty, and Club World Cup, I think we will win. So I don't know how I'm doing the math on the fly in my head. I I'm going to go. Sixty percent to do the quintuple. I don't really know how I've worked that out, but I have. <laughs> that, that so I, I was adding it up just based upon trophies, and so I think that at a, I actually think the the floor right now is three, which is like think about like two years ago, would the floor have been like we're going to win three you know three trophies for a season, and like uh, I mean, we already <laughs> have the super cup as well. Um, ah, of course, yeah. 
So I, I feel like it's 60%. I, I was actually, that's where I landed because I think you win one of the domestics. I think you're winning one of either the Carabao or the FA Cup. Carabao looks, I think, pretty appetizing at the moment, uh, particularly if Kepa just continues this blinding run of, you know, not having, you know, not getting shot at and then winning penalty shootouts when that happens. <laughs> I love the I first think, qualification there. Yeah, it's an important <laughs> qualification. Uh, the Premier League, I feel like we are in a good position, particularly heading into the break again with being top of the table. It's you're not you're not concerned about anybody other than yourself just to get the job done. I think repeating the Champions League is super hard, particularly for English sides. Um because our fixture runs are not as kind as uh, either the German leagues or uh, some of the other international uh, international leagues. But I do think we'll win the Club World Cup. So I, I went with, we probably win three, so it gives me 60%. But I think, you know, uh, irrational confidence, why not us? We win them all, because we're Chelsea. That's just what we do. Exactly. Yeah. Against the odds. We're going to win all six. So it's not actually, it's a sextuple, as you say, with the uh, with the cup. Well, no, sorry, the super cup already. So yeah. we're going to win six trophies, not five. It's going to be so amazing. Ah, oh, I can't wait to get over there and uh, check out the uh, the super cup, at least, as, uh, as a part of the cabinet. Uh, all right. So kit culture. Bill of Rights asking, favorite Chelsea and non-Chelsea kits? And I, I appreciate, Joe, that uh, you gave me inspiration to use photos as well, <laughs> um, which kind of gives the movement to it. I really enjoyed, uh, I probably would have gone with your home pick, but I didn't want to do the uh, the same thing. So I, I did kind of deviate on that. But why don't you run us through uh, the, the three that you selected? Sure. So I went with the, uh, I don't even know what they've called it. Is it the FA Cup commemorative kit, the 1970 kit? Yeah. So the... Uh, the uh, Nike, uh, was it the Yokohama tires, whatever it was, but the the blue and yellow kit that that that's my favourite Chelsea kit. I think actually, um, even the you know, I was going to actually pick the nineteen seventies one, but I just I love the redesigned one. And I don't know about you, Dan, but seeing you know Nike do such an incredible job with a kit, and then seeing some of the stuff that they've produced for us over the past couple of seasons, I get a little bit frustrated because. You know, I'm. I have a classic opinion that the Chelsea home kit should be quite plain. It should be a very plain royal blue, maybe a little bit of white trim, yellow trim, whatever it might be. Um, but keep keep that simple and then do whatever you want with the away kit and the third kit. Like you can, you know, whatever you want to do, you can paint a van, you know, Van Gogh painting on that if you really want to. Um, but that for me should be should be classic. So that that kit for me is probably my favourite. The away kit I've gone for, I think it's a 2003 white away kit with the blue and black um, sort of vertical stripes down the middle. A, that team was absolutely incredible. And I have great memories of, of watching that team when I was a lot, a lot younger than I am at the moment. Um, but also that kit for me, I, I wish Chelsea would, again, do, do a sort of redesigned version of that kit. Something about it, it's very, very simple, umbro shirt, but just a really, really classic and smart looking shirt. Um, and I think the Robin Duff goal, I think somebody posted recently again against uh, CSK Moscow, that kit they were wearing there, it's just, just an iconic away kit for me. And then the the non-Chelsea kit. Now, I think the boys will know that uh, when when I was given the chance to select a hat from one of our, our old sponsors, uh, I picked the Peru hat on a, on a black cap, so a white shirt with a red sash. For whatever reason, that kit has basically become synonymous with my favourite non-Chelsea shirt. And I actually have a picture of, uh, of Diego Costa playing for Rayo Vallecano, who also have that white shirt with a red sash. So it's either going to be the Peru, any of the Peru shirts, although the umber one they have at the moment with the black collar is very, very nice. 
River Plate um, or probably for the, the Chelsea link, I went with the Diego Costa Raya Vallecano shirt. Uh, weirdly enough, the sash, the white sash with that kind of turquoise blue sort of kind of sash across it. I used to love that away kit. I don't think many other people did, but that was one of my favorites because sash kits are, are, are my thing. So those are my three. It's all good. I, I, I Again, I really love the pick on the nine, 1970 redux that chelsea did and uh, you know the, the yellow socks just absolutely oh, yeah make it a, a kind of flawless i think if they had actually like stripped the sponsor off for the one match it would have been even better but like it's yeah. so it's so light that in motion you really had a hard time kind of picking up on it uh, all these are good um i i went like full 90s on the kits because i i think that this was an era of some uh, pretty special designs uh the the mid 90s home kit with the cores and like the uh kind of the the text you know sort of under, the, the lines that were kind of like lightly underneath it the big kind of badge the umbro logo little oversized so you're like you never know like is this player like gonna be able to buy me i don't know because like i can't you know emotion i'm not really sure like versus like today's kits where you know how big reese james is and people still anyway decide to take him on um i also went with the uh the auto glass uh blue and uh light blue and yellow for the away kit it's uh, one of my favorites yeah most famous maybe in it's uh zola in the snow type fixture which uh is uh is quite uh quite the photo as well and then non-chelsea uh but sort of chelsea related because the person uh, sporting it is uh is cool uh, the AC Milan uh, first generation Adidas kits I thought were were really nice. Uh, again, like full nineties here, um, but yeah, that's when I was growing up. So I mean, that's just that's just the way it works, Joe. The uh, I don't know if this is quite sad, but I am ninety nine point nine percent certain that that photo that you've got there for the yellow A kits was played against Tromso. I think they were a Norwegian team. And I remember being a kid and going to Chelsea and uh, Chelsea fans singing, what's it like to play on grass? Because, I mean, again, it was, I think it was like a nil-nil or one-nil, something really stupid. And then the, the home the home game, I, I think we put like nine past them or something stupid when we actually were, were playing on something that didn't resemble uh, Minnesota in the uh, in the winter. So, yeah, it was uh, Tromsø, I think that was, yeah. yeah. But I love I love that, that Milan kit. It's a great pick. Yeah. Rude Hillett as well in the photo for those who are not able to see the wonderful pictures that we've selected. Yeah, they're good. Um, all right, so let's uh, kind of move forward here. So Grizz had a bunch of questions, but I, I think the one that I want to target in on here, Joe, is uh, he kind of did ask, like, assuming you both play career mode on FIFA, which we kind of indicated maybe we were more uh, football manager individuals, but the uh, most satisfying career mode you've ever done, maybe a road to glory from a league two to another European league, et cetera, um any any memories any fond memories of like taking chelsea to you know from death star is kind of being built to fully <laughs> operational that you've you've done or is it more about taking uh, taking a side and getting them to now uh have a new level of glory that they would never achieve in real life yeah i think the uh the saves that i really enjoyed and i would i will caveat this before before we start by saying i'm an absolute massive football manager nerd i can't start without not illegally downloading all of the uh, kits and the face packs and and all of the literally all the graphics files for it. So before I can actually play, it, I have to spend a good three hours downloading everything to make sure that it's playable. Um, and, a true uh, tinker so man, right there. That's I'm a true <laughs> true tinker man, man of culture, one hundred percent. And there are these wonderful people that do these. Um, I think they're called option files, where they extend the English pyramid to like you know really really quite far down. 
And there's a team, uh, Dulwich Hamlet, they play in pink and blue. They're a team that I used to play against as a, as a child. Um, and just because of their kit, pink and blue, it's fantastic. They've got great shirts, really, really good fan culture. But I remember taking them and doing like a real good 20-year sort of long career. It might have been like FM 2012 or 11 or something like that. Um, but but I always kind of thought it was funny because by the time you're sort of in the Premier League and you've got this wonderful academy system, it's basically like the Joe Tweed's vision of how football should be. But the idea of being able to fit a 70,000-seater stadium in Dulwich, which is a little village inside London, which is very, very upper middle class, but also has absolutely zero space in it, was always quite amusing to me that we somehow managed to find the room to build this sort of absolute behemoth of a stadium in there. But uh, yeah, that was like a, a good couple of Champions Leagues, Premier Leagues, etc. but a real, real slog to go from effectively a, a semi-pro um, sort of team to to you know being a sort of a very dominant Premier League team with, I, I think the one thing I was being like very sad and proud about at the same time is I did win the European Cup with an entire uh, academy produced eleven, which obviously very much fits my mo as a as a Chelsea fan. But that was that was one. And again, I mean, I I tend to not do saves with Chelsea because I find them a little I don't want to say easy, but um, a little bit too easy. But I always again sort of in terms of my previous point. It's always Rayo Vallecano in Spain. It's always the team that I pick. And then I, I always try and steal and cherry pick as many of the good Chelsea Academy players as possible to get a, uh, a hybrid Spanish Cobham, La Cobham. It's a bit basically La Cobham in, uh, in, in uh, La Liga in the end. But yeah, I, I'm a big, big FM guy. How about you, Dan? Yeah, so I will say over time, like that, uh, football gaming for me has not been the biggest thing. Uh, and like the like the, I don't know, secret history, but like, I, I like, I, I used to write about like video games, like in high school and college. And that was like my like part-time job, but I was going to like E3s and stuff. And so like, which I games, was, what, what kind of games? Oh gosh. Um, uh, I remember getting a sit down with, uh, with Will Wright, uh, going through like Spore when that was coming out and like getting a piece of meteorite rock with like a, it was like a you know because you're on like an ex you know an expo floor right but they build these massive booths and then they build like rooms into there for meetings like demo things out and um you know you kind of go in there's myself writing for one publication and it was actually a, a pair of like swedish reporters uh one you know kind of videographer and one kind of individual who was asking the questions and we're there and we're just getting like the live demo of like, oh, hey, here's here, here's how it's going to go. And here's what we think it's going to be. And I mean, I would say the games I most tend to enjoy are like a, a role playing game. Mm. Uh, obviously, probably no surprise that uh, as a nerdy kid uh, who's talking about growing up in the 90s, that uh, the Final Fantasy games were, uh, were really fun. Legend of Zelda, obviously. Um, yeah, more modern. I really enjoy the Assassin's Creed ones. I know they're not like groundbreaking yeah. in any capacity, but I'm an know, Assassin's Creed nerd. The, the, yeah. the history stuff is fun. You know, it's, I love like a an alternative history kind of take. So, uh, I mean, I, I did take like Ajax like back to back Champions Leagues, and I thought that was really fun. Um, especially like when you're in a, in a division that you can usually just pound the division pretty easily and focus on your your european aspirations but uh I'd be interested to hear more about like what people do or don't do because i think to your point like i don't necessarily like playing at chelsea because i think you get a little bit of a leg up and uh <laughs> in terms of your knowledge like oh i know four to five levels of academy players that i want to like pull out <laughs> and set on the path because they're going to come back and be absolute monsters when they come back and then then you kind of have like the the Mon Squad or whatever uh, from 
from Space yeah. Jam. And that just, you know, <laughs> it's like playing on easy mode. I'd rather give myself a little bit more of a challenge. Do you, do you have, a, again, I'm piggybacking on this question here, but computer games is, again, something that I'm very, very into. So this is, I'm going to keep this quite tight and it's going to be quite tricky to answer. But do you have top three? computer games and i'm sticking to free because that's quite difficult uh, to populate uh well for just saying like pc specific um any of the, like the civilization games i could like just fall into and then continue like for hours and hours on end um like age of empires 2 i remember playing that when i was younger for a ton of time as well um and then, like, I, I I mean, World of Warcraft was one of, like, the biggest kind of additions for a really long time that uh, I remember playing and putting some significant hours into as well. But that was, uh, you know, th- that was kind of a fun party-building type of game. And, um, yeah, those, those are, like, I, I, I'm not going to say, like, they're the best, but those are the, the three I remember yeah. I've invested the most time into and would probably say <laughs> that they, uh, they uh, get some special place in my heart for that. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm with you on those. I think if I was picking... This is tricky. I'd have to go the Assassin's Creed series because I genuinely have completed every single one that's come out on like PlayStation, wherever it might be. Maybe not the mobile games, but generally like the big, the big games I've completed. And then probably non-sports games, The Witcher 3. That was Ooh, really, really yeah. fantastic. I said I'd them PlayStation, yeah. otherwise I would have added that there because that's a phenomenal game. I think it was like that's incredible. It's one of the best stories I've seen in a game. <laughs> yeah. No, that was, uh, I can't remember. I think I, a friend recommended that, that to me. Um, and I remember playing it one evening and then being like, phoning my boss and be like, yeah, I'm going to take three days annual leave <laughs> just so I can basically play the game for the rest of the week. Um, and then probably God of War. I love God of War as well. The combat mm. and that's incredible. So that, that probably those three I'd go with as my, as my top three, not, not including any sports games, but yeah. Witcher 3 is probably my favorite of all time. Oof, these are, this is good. This is a good conversation. But we're going to take a quick ad break, and then when we jump back, we're going to answer uh, more of your questions. Uh, again, some Chelsea-related, some not Chelsea-related, and uh, we'll get through that. But uh, we will be right back after this message. All right, so just uh, you know, brief note, more pods. It's international break. We keep on producing pods. Uh, after this episode, uh, if you're listening to it on the day it drops, uh, we will have our Pat Nevin interview on his book, The Accidental Footballer, dropping. So... Uh, you'll want to check that out. But we also dropped other pods earlier in the week. We did a Burnley review. We did an Aston Villa women's match review. We did a Matt Law episode. So there's a bunch of great content there. So, uh, you know, dig into it. But, Joe, we'll kind of bust through a couple of these quick because I want to make sure that people know that we do read the questions. We do spend time looking at them. We might not have some answers for some of them, but McLeasy was asking if we've been watching Secession at all, uh, saying it's becoming one of his all-time faves. And then do we think it will eventually pass The Wire, which was a follow-up to the original question? Um, I don't think you've watched any Secession yet. That's correct, right? Yeah, it's it's on my list of things to watch. The one one thing, and and again... (laughs) I'm very silly when it comes to stuff like this, but there is an advert at the moment in the in the UK which is promoting the series, and there's a clip of a guy shouting. And for some reason, like the the acting, I find the acting a little bit peculiar. Like he's sort of interpreting like a Daniel Day Lewis kind of you know attempt at shouting, uh, you know, shouting "Abandoned my child" or something in one of his films, and that has kind of put me off it a tiny bit. However, about five or six people who I really rate in terms of their TV series recommendations have told me that it's uh, it's pretty phenomenal. So I will get around to it at some point. What I will say is that The Wire is probably the favourite 
thing that I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, I don't know if I would rewatch it. I don't know if it would if it would stand up. Um, I, I recently rewatched The Sopranos, and that was still absolutely fantastic. So, but from a from a first um, kind of what actually I've I've seen the wide twice all the way through. That uh, the characters in there, the storyline, the different you know takes that each of the the seasons have. Um, if Succession is anywhere near that, I'll be very, very happy. I don't know if you if you can compare the both, uh, Dan. Oh, it's real different because like where The Wire excels is it the the main character is like the city of of Baltimore, right? And like you get yeah. various like it's almost like a like a viewfinder, and each season is like a different snap on the viewfinder to a different little slide, and like it goes from being the police to being the docks to being you know government and or you know like the, the drug game like so you get like all of these different views of like a, a comprehensive city whereas secession is really super isolated character story and i think that makes it a little hard to do like an apples to apples comparison to them i will say the writing and story and ability to get you to care for like the <laughs> The 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 one percent of the one percent having some of these problems is pretty interesting because you really you hate all of them and you do hate all of them and you should hate all of them but sometimes you're rooting for them and it's really <laughs> nice that they can get you to to feel this way about people who are uh you know fractured broken morally repugnant in in most of their capacity to care for one another and the writing is uh quite fantastic uh brian cox uh with his oh fuck off uh quite frequently <laughs> is uh is quite wonderful too so i i think we are in a great era of wonderful television and uh, the nice thing is is regardless of what you like there's great stuff out there so you know uh if it does that'd be phenomenal so I hope it does, because that'd be great. Um, we're going to pass on Gabriel's question asking for a movie review of Dune right now, because you have not seen it yet. But uh, we will we will commit to, Joe, doing it in the future after you've had a chance to take it in at the cinema. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to that. As I said to, to Dan, I've tried to limit my exposure to any praise, any reviews, any comments from people, not necessarily for spoilers, because I'm not I'm not, you know, the world's uh, most sort of stringent anti-spoiler person, but more so that I can, I can go in and form my own opinion. Um, I'm always a late adopter to films and series and stuff like that. So like the hype is died down, I can kind of go and watch it. So um, yeah, I think I'm 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 booked in to see it next Saturday. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, we will give you our massive review. And London is Blue will become a uh, a film review podcast in the new future. It's, it's where we're transitioning to. So if you're listening to this in six months' time and you're wondering why we're covering the Oscars, that's uh, that's probably going to be it. Well, I'm sure we will uh, not be uh, bereft of opinions <laughs> on that there. I, I do know that you and I both enjoyed uh, the latest James Bond film, though. And uh, oh, yes. that is something that we could uh, espouse upon with uh, quite a bit of favor as a uh, wonderful cap to uh, best Bond, second best Bond of all time. I mean, that that like is a whole other can of worms, but the... Uh, the series of movies uh, caps off his portrayal in uh, in quite fine fashion. I think that Daniel Craig, when when you actually look at how James Bond's written in the books and this this kind of real dynamic character that he's meant to be, I think his interpretation and actually, bar one film, I think Quantum of Solace was okay compared to the rest of them. But bar that film, I think he's been absolutely spectacular as Bond. And as Dan says here, um, 
you know, uh, to to Jake, massive spoiler. So maybe some sort of spoiler klaxon or whatever amazing sound effects that you put over these pods here. <laughs> exactly. The, uh, yeah, the the ending, I, I'm not going to say it was, but I felt the ending was very fitting for the the sort of the character arc that, the that, you know, Daniel uh, went on as Bond from the first film to the last, that sort of journey that he went on. I felt it was very, very fitting way to, to finish the, the series. And again, I, I know I, I enjoyed it for what it was as an individual film, but I think, again, if you like the series um, and him sort of reviving Bond as a, as a character, um, particularly because I felt Pierce Brosnan was absolutely terrible as a, as a Bond and those those films were so cliche riddled and generally not particularly, um, as someone who, who really does like a bit of James Bond, Brosnan kind of almost almost killed it completely. Um, but I think Daniel Craig's version of, of Bond was was sensational. And yeah, last film was, was great. And, you know, for me, capped off what was, I think, some of the some of the best action films, certainly that have been produced in the last 15, 20 years. Well, uh, no surprise. We, we like this one uh, a lot. And, you know, I, I do think it'd be interesting to see who they go with from a casting perspective for the next. Yeah bond series and i've not looked at like any of the betting odds like i know uh was it uh hiddleston is one that's been connected to it um i mean idris elba at, at maybe an earlier point in his career probably would have been uh you know a good consideration obviously did a, a real nice job in like the luther series but yeah. uh yeah I'm, I'm not sure who they're gonna go with but it'll be interesting to see where they trend and and do they potentially continue using any of the supporting cast characters or is it like a full refresh because some of the like ancillary like the the q kind of you know character like in particular like i, I find to be uh very enjoyable and think that that yeah. would add some add some level like of continuity to it but uh, maybe they want to go completely fresh again which uh, you know would not be a surprise yeah, Q, uh, Q in particular. Yeah, the uh, the scene where James meets him for the first time, and he's like, "You still have spots," and I just yeah, it's, it's such a <laughs> such a great uh, relationship. And uh, yeah, Q, I think yeah, as you say, as a as a supporting character, uh, very strong, and also again someone that you you buy into. I think the actor, I, I don't know who the actor is, but very very good job there. Um, uh, but yeah, Ben Rishaw, or I think of something of that nature. Again, this is uh, typically a footballing podcast, but we've uh, bridged into movies and clearly <laughs> yes. uh, showing that we have uh, some more reps on the training pitch before we uh, can, can start covering the Oscars in full. But uh, <laughs> let's let's then pivot back a little bit here. So uh, Tyrese and Tony asking some similar questions about like, how do we fit Gilmore, Gallagher, Mason, Ruben, Conte, Kova, Georgina, and a DM in our squad for next season? Tony kind of following up with the, do we need to get rid of two midfielders this summer in order to balance it? Um I don't want to be Thomas Tuchel in this situation of having to make the decisions <laughs> here, Joe, but it does look like the logjam is potentially very real next season. How do you see it maybe shaking out? And is it a matter of who leaves? Is it a matter of maybe who comes in? You know, are, are there others who maybe can play different positions? Like, how are you looking at this? Yeah, I, I'm going to try and take a very cutthroat sort of way of looking at this rather than maybe looking at it through the prism of sentimentality or maybe trying to be a little bit more uh, kinder to certain players. Um, the the main three that we've had for a couple of seasons, Kante, Kova and Jorginho, it wouldn't surprise me if I think Kova will definitely still be here, depending on how Kante's sort of injury, I don't want to call it an issue, but let's say how he's being managed 
I don't think Chelsea will sell him, but I think it would be an interesting conversation if they buy someone to sort of take some of the the minutes and give you that kind of Kante-esque sort of personality and, and the way that he plays. So I think Kante is an interesting one, whereas, you know, seasons gone by, he was almost the, the default name on the team sheet. I also have a feeling when it comes to Jorginho that he may, um, given his his agent loves to talk and likes, you know, and we're coming up to another international break period just, just in time, um, maybe he fancies one big move to, to Italy to sort of finish off his career. Juventus or whoever it might be potentially in terms of someone coming in for him and returning to Italy having won hopefully a Premier League title etc I just think with some of the comments that we kind of continue to see from Jorginho that him staying at Chelsea long term isn't a certain thing so if we're looking at the core three Kovar I think is still there I think Ruben's kind of resurgence has put him into the, the, the sort of the equation for, for next season and then it's really a question of, of, of Gallagher um, I think Gallagher's good enough to to get into this Chelsea team and make a contribution. Gilmore, I'm less certain on, and not just you know he's he's not being picked by Norwich, etc. Um, but with with Jorginho, I think it, it's either Gilmore or Jorginho for me in terms of the the profile of player. I think if you have both of them in the squad, they both do very similar things, very similar jobs. They would play a very similar role in Tuchel's system. I think that is a little bit of an either or for me. And Mason, I see more as part of the the front three these days. So, you know, I think he's someone who can give you a bit more of an an out and out attacking option in those positions. But I think he is now probably solidified us as that sort of link player in the in the in sort of the the front three there. So, you know, whether we I think we go possibly go and buy a, a pure uh, holding player. Again, you know, we we may see a transition where we start playing more of a three in midfield. We could switch to a four three three, for example, in which case you would still need to have four, maybe five quality options to play there. Um but I, I think a lot of it will depend on how how fit and healthy Kante is. Um, you know, someone at the club may look at him and, 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 you know, look at his, his injury record, the amount of games he's missing. If somebody comes in with a gigantic offer, this might be the summer. And again, I'm, I'm just making a, a blanket business statement here. This might be the summer that they decide to, to cash in on Kante if PSG or someone came in with lots of money. Um, as I said, Jorginho, I, I'm not hundred percent certain that, well, at least from what his, his agent seems to say every single time that they, uh, a microphone is put in front of his face that, uh, you know, I'm not 100% convinced that Jorginho is going to be part of the long-term plans at Chelsea. So if those two are sort of, not dubious in terms of what they're going to do, but in terms of their inclusion, Kante um, maybe stays, Cover, Ruben, um, a new DM, and possibly you then have a fifth midfielder in Gallagher and five either goes into two or three for next season. Oof, well, that is, again... It's tough. It's tough. I mean, Gallagher is doing all the right, the right things right now. And, you know, you, you wonder if, he was in the squad right now in a game yesterday against Burnley. Like it's, you know, it, it look, Gallagher is also helping take points off other sides right now. So he's doing, he's doing the Lord's work in, uh, yeah. in a lot of, uh, different situations, which is, uh, the nice thing. Cause he can't play against us and make it difficult to play against palace because he's probably their best player at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, and look, that's, uh, that's a good place to be. I, I do think it'll be challenging. I, I think the, likelihood of seeing one or two of these players depart is likely i mean you also i mean if marina is you know shrewd at times and does she potentially say look i can sell gallagher now for 35 million 40 million and maybe that's what you need to get someone like declan rice on the side and like that is 
part of the equation here where, you know, if you think that he's, you know, West Ham clearly value him at a hundred million pounds. I don't know if Chelsea would ever sign him for that amount, but it probably ends up somewhere in like the 80 range then like with, with the each side's kind of negotiation and back and forth and how it works. But it's going to be tough. This is a really interesting question. I think we'll have more of more visibility to how this is going to shake out Joe after the December, January fixtures, when we can see like, what is the fitness level of Conte, Jorginho and others? Has Ruben continued to stay healthy? I think that's going to help bring this into focus a little more. And then I think we should kind of maybe yeah. bring this question back up on like, what does the future look like? Um, because I think we're still missing a little, little few data points to help us kind of see this clearly. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely way too soon. Obviously, the question is difficult because it's way too soon. Uh, um, I think you're right. I think the, the fitness, the form, um, certainly of maybe Kante is the interesting one here because I think he's such an incredible player. But if he is on the decline and the club know that, you know, he's being managed, etc. I think that that is an intriguing question, as you say, in the latter half of the season. Jorginho, again, may, maybe he's just looking for a big money move back to back to Italy. Um, but I'm, I'm keeping a very keen eye on, on Kante and how he's being used as well. Um, yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what actually transpires over the next couple of months. Hi, so interesting question from Connor, who wants us to pick sides because he says Nick or Brandon, <laughs> question mark. And that was it. That was the entirety of the question. Um, I didn't know how to take this. And I feel like I would have a hard time weighing in unless it's like something very obvious where it's like if it's playing football. Well, clearly it's Brandon because he played at a much higher level. And we've all seen the video of Nick Verlady attempting to score off of my wonderful cross and uh, it didn't go in. <laughs> so obvious there. Recommendations for whiskey or bourbon. I'm going Nick Verlady. Like it's, yeah, you know, it, it's all about, I think it's situational. I think it's hard to split them in, in that capacity. Are there any other categories where you would default to a Brandon Busby or default to a Nick Verlaney? So Brandon, I'm going on tea recommendations. Mm. Brandon and I are very much in sync on our tea. <laughs> yeah, again, you know, for all of the, uh, the the high intellectual football conversation we have, we do, we do debate the merits of tea and, and people will know, I think from a recent episode that I'm very into my Manuka honey, which uh, again, I'm sure people will, uh, will find fascinating. Um, I think Nick, I will go anything to do with American football. I think mm. Nick is particularly, particularly the college game. I think he's got a greater appreciation of American sports than, than Brandon. Um, I think I would also probably, I would probably go to Vegas with Nick as well as that's my spicy take. I think Nick would be like, you know, on the beers, on the whiskey till like eight in the morning, maybe Brandon goes home a little bit earlier because Brandon is a lot more sensible, I think. Maybe I've got that wrong, but I'm, I'm going with Nick Delaney as my I, I feel like you're using the uh, the 4 a.m. conference call uh, yeah, exactly. Porto <laughs> as a little bit of your, your information Nick, standard there. completely fine, although he's been drinking all day. Brandon sounded like he had been on a seven-day bender and was being dragged home by a, uh, a really begrudging and, and uh, very intense female companion, let's put it that way. But uh, yeah, no, Brandon was uh, was definitely worse aware. When comp actually, compared to both of you, so I think both of you have come to Vegas. Maybe Brandon is then is sort of holding the fort down back home in uh, in London is blue headquarters. <laughs> uh, I hope he doesn't good. listen to this. I really hope he doesn't. No, no, he, I'm, I'm sure he will. But uh, <laughs> I've banned you know, him from coming on tour. It's uh, you know, everybody handles it differently. And uh, to to maybe Brandon's defense a little bit, uh, yeah, he was taking some pretty heavy swigs out of that awful, <laughs> dreadful <laughs> bottle of Jack Daniels. So. Uh, 
under maybe some peer pressure. So uh, in general, maybe uh, <laughs> some some peer pressure, some peer pressure. <laughs> I know you 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 win the Champions League. There's a lot of peer pressure for things. Uh, that's this is how it works sometimes. Um, Kieran had the question of how do the club or do clubs go about recruitment at the older youth levels? Is it looking at holes in the age group and saying, yeah, we're not really got a suitable left back DM or whatever. And then you target the best available ones for scholarship. Or do you just try to get the best scholarship players available and figure out the team after? Generally, this is a good question. I know maybe our, our friend uh, Phil at Chelsea Youth may have a little bit more insight on this, but I, I don't want to ever sell you short. So what's your take on this scenario? Yeah, so this is, uh, I mean, there's not two approaches, but for Chelsea, there's typically, you've got two approaches. So at the moment, there is a a chap, a young player at uh, Fulham, I believe, called Fabio Cavallio. Fantastic name. Um, He's 19, so a young player, but he's coming to the end of his contract, I think, with Fulham. And and Fulham, I don't think, are going to be able to re-sign him. So... When you have the opportunity to maybe sign a higher end or a a more uh, prodigious talent, then I think you'll see Chelsea try to, where they can, um, make that sort of signing a reality. So you've got Liverpool and I think City potentially are also in for this this Cavalio kid. So I think if you're looking at upper, upper echelon elite talents, Chelsea will try to, where possible, make that opportunity um, a reality and actually sign someone of that quality. However, when it comes to... Still, sort of the uh, under 18s, 19s, the the 23s, 21s, whatever it's going to be. If there are gaps, certainly in the team, you'll see quite often Chelsea will go to sort of non-league or they'll get people in on trial. Um, it's more a question of actually plugging in those gaps and filling in a position. So at the moment, I think it's it's fair to say that in certain age groups, we have a bit of a weakness when it comes to the fullback positions, particularly left back. So I think Chelsea have had a few players in on, on trial from sort of... Uh, sort of non-league clubs or sort of um, people that have fallen kind of out of the game a tiny bit. And you, you sometimes see them given a, a sort of year-long contract at the club just to effectively come in and, and fill in a, a particular role. So those are kind of sort of the the two typical approaches. You either have, as I say, the the elite people that you maybe are, are fortunate enough to be able to try and convince to come to your club. Somebody, you know, of like a, a Tino Livermento or somebody of that sort of quality who is refusing to sign a deal with a particular club. You might try and move in and pinch them. Otherwise, it tends to be if you have uh, really significant holes or weaknesses in your team. So I think, as I say, Chelsea have, at least to my knowledge, trialed a couple of fullbacks and a couple of left-backs over the past couple of uh, weeks and months. Um, and I think that that is a trend that you'll see continue going forward. So we tend to be pretty well stocked in most positions. But I think as people are seeing now, players are going out on loan younger and younger. Players are leaving the club to go and play for, for other clubs you know, before signing that big first deal with Chelsea. So... The, the stockpile of talent, the sort of backfilling of talent isn't always quite there in terms of what Chelsea would want. So you might actually see a trend of, of Chelsea signing um, players from non-league or from, from sort of Sunday football, whatever it might be, uh, to actually fill in those gaps. And occasionally you'll get someone come through who's, who's pretty decent. Um, there's a player whose name completely escapes me. I think at the moment he's playing for a pretty prominent Premier League academy side who I'm fairly certain like maybe 18 months ago was, was basically playing the equivalent of sort of like rec league standard um, on a Sunday and is now, you know, found himself in, in a really good academy. So it definitely can happen, but these players are mostly there to to fill in the gaps. I, they don't really expect to have a, a long-term future at the club. Well, and I think the the one piece too, Joe, is the, the fact that the club gives players time coming up the levels in multiple positions yeah. um, is the other part of that, right? Why, why we don't tend to see 
massive gaps across like multiple positions is because you see players tried out in all areas of the pitch essentially and you then kind of get them really I, I think it's like the is it the U15 level where they really start to solidify like okay you are now a defender and like we are going to maybe try you a little further forward but we kind of think we have your profile nailed on and then it just continues to narrow down a little bit but they still give them some of that positional flexibility to make sure that they can yeah. do more than one job yeah exactly yeah and you know it's you'll see you'll, you'll kind of still see players shifting between certain positions but by that point they generally are like a defender so you you would have seen Reese James play right back right center back you know right wing back for Chelsea's academy but you're not seeing him play you know right wing or center forward or whatever it might be you know when he was coming through the system um midfielders are the same you'll see them play that the six role the eight role the 10 role uh maybe as a as a wide forward but you, you won't see them playing a center back or you won't see them playing as a fullback for example um anyone who remembers the the conversation I had with Ruben Samut a while back now you'll you'll know that now, at times, Chelsea used to line up with Dom Solanke and Tammy Abraham as centre-backs, you know, which, again, seems very, very peculiar. But at that age, you know, they want them to try and play every position. So, you know, Chelsea are going and, and winning games with two, um, you know, I suppose they both had England caps at this point. So two England, future England centre-forwards playing as centre-backs and Reese James playing up front and Callum playing as a left-back or whatever it might be. So, yeah, that happens less and less as you get up the age groups. But, uh, you know, as, as, uh, as Dan's alluding to there, it's it's infrequent that Chelsea have to physically go out and get somebody in to, to cover a position because of the flexibility. But at the moment, with uh, the sort of the... the the amount of young players that Chelsea have that are playing at different levels, particularly we've got a super young, you know, under 21s, 23 side this season. You'll start, you'll start to see maybe a few more players coming to fill those gaps down the, uh, the age groups of the 18, 17, 16, et cetera. All right. Well, we are almost done, Joe. We've answered a lot of questions. We've covered a lot of ground. Uh, and speaking of covering ground, as we round it out here, uh, ride on uh, Gideon left one last question is it one place you want to visit in the states one place Dan wants to visit in the UK so kind of scratching that travel bug here uh, particularly on the back of uh, us uh, you moving back to the UK and yep. uh, us heading back over to the UK as a little bit of a trio and uh, getting a chance to be back at Sanford Bridge in uh, just over a month's time here so uh, where you know i don't know if i have an initial one like I, as i kind of thought about this i'm like ah oh, you know I've, I've wanted to go to ireland i've wanted to go to scotland like uh you know those are kind of like just maybe in generalities but maybe not like a specific place into it mm. um do you have like a oh yes this is the city or this is the area of the u.s oh, that yes. i would want to go to okay excellent <laughs> drop it this isn't going to be a surprise to people but um I think people who know me know that I'm an incredibly big Minnesota sports fan in general. So my plan would be to try and, and, and find an overlap between being able to go and watch a Timberwolves game and also Minnesota Vikings game, possibly a wild game and, and twins. I don't know if any of these sports will play at the same time. In my head, there is some point where they overlap at some point. Um, but I would love to go to Minnesota to watch literally all of the sport. So that that would be my ideal place to go. Um yeah, whatever that is in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of if it's Minneapolis or whatever it might be, um, or, you know, the whatever whatever city is, is closest to all of the sporting places. But that is definitely the the dream. And I think uh, it was something that I wanted to do this year. But obviously, with, with everything that's been happening, it's been a bit uh, a bit tricky to plan that far ahead. Um, but I think next season, 
Um, I want to do a good a good week in uh, in Minnesota, which uh, I think for people that are like it's really cold, etc., it's kind of fine with me. But I I would love to go and see the the Vikings. Um, and uh, certainly the Vikings and Timberwolves are the two teams that I follow most closely in, in American sports. So it'd be really, really cool to go there and watch that. You most likely get three of the teams going at the same time. It's going to be hard to get all of the sports in. But you, <laughs> you could get hockey, basketball, and football, American football, all in the same window. Boom. Um, so that's that's probably it's probably a late half of the year type thing for you. But uh, is baseball a spring game? Is that like a spring thing? I've heard ba- spring ba- ball yeah, is a ba- phrase. Ba- baseball uh, starts really in earnest in April and then kind of continues ah, okay. forward to late late October. Um, and and like you, you, but you're also then having to bank on October baseball is really like your team is you know in the in the playoffs. Um, and, <laughs> and as a fan uh, of Minnesota sports that very rarely is the case in any how how are they a city or like a state that has I think the one of the only ones that has all of the professional sports teams like in the state and they've even got a, a football slash soccer team and yet they're all rubbish. I don't really quite understand what's happened here. I started following Randy Moss like in the late 90s. <laughs> this is how far my my association with Minnesota goes back. Late 90s, I started, uh, you know, getting into American football, Randy Moss, Dante Culpepper, Chris Carter, this, it was like amazing. And since then, <laughs> since then, I think I've had two really good years supporting the Vikings, like 2009, Bounty Gate, you know, the, the Saints game. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a good team a, little, a couple of years ago where we got to the NFC uh, title game, but the Eagles absolutely uh, trounced us. So I've had two real good seasons of Vikings football after I felt that the, uh, the Randy Moss years would be sort of the norm for what, for what I was watching. But apart from that, it's been dreadful. And the less said about the Timberwolves, although I love Anthony Edwards, I love Kat, um, the less said about them, the, the better at this point. They're just, uh, I don't really know what's happening to them. So, yeah, but I would love to see them. Love, well, love, love to see them live. I, I'm sure when you uh, do make it over that we will uh, all make the trip up to Minneapolis and uh, take in some of that with you because... Uh, Super. I mean, yeah, sports are awesome. Uh, sports are awesome. Football's awesome. American and uh, and European or uh, football, you know, proper as it are, was. But uh, Chelsea's great too. And uh, this was a fun mailbag. And hopefully it, uh, you know, it, it made our international break better, Joe. But I hope it made the listeners' international break that much better too. Yeah, these are, these are always fun because you never quite know what you're going to get in terms of the mailbag. And the one thing I'll say is I try not to over-prepare for these episodes. I am a creature of habit when it comes to normal pods. I have my notes, I have all my other stuff prepared. But these, I tend to like the, the questions to sort of flow through and, and be a little bit more natural. So hopefully that is, that's how it comes across. But yeah, I love doing these. So we're going to um, have to try and up, maybe up the cadence a tiny bit on these because they are very enjoyable to do. We will figure something out for uh, the wonderful listeners. Maybe it's like a post uh post-Christmas type thing because the uh the November period it looks pretty busy December looks like it's going to be a quite busy month but you know January when uh, again it's cold it's dreary you want a little bit of extra Chelsea content in your lives we'll figure out a way to make it work but uh this was great Joe appreciate it much as always listeners appreciate you as well but until next time you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high.